lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but Naturalism wins at a half length to Viander Cross in a bumping finish. Cavalieri, I think, third in front of Zamanay. The Spring Carnival is gathering momentum and will continue at Rose Hill Gardens on Saturday, September the 10th with three Group 2s and a Group 3. Just an appetiser for what's to come in the weeks ahead. The Group 2s are the Theo Marks, the Scirocco Stakes and the Run to the Rose for the three-year-olds who are eyeing off the $1 million Golden Rose of 1,400 metres to be run on September the 24th. The Run to the Rose was inaugurated in 2003 and was won last year by Animo, the year before by Rothfire and in 2019 by Bivouac. The most celebrated winner of the Run to the Rose so far is the 2012 winner Piero, who won 11 from 14, including five Group 1s for $4.5 million, and he's now one of Australia's most celebrated sires. Six winners of the Run to the Rose have gone on to win the Golden Rose, the most recent being Bivouac three years ago. Let's not forget Saturday the 17th at Royal Randwick when the George Main is the only Group 1 on the card, strongly supported by the Shorts and the T-Rose. The 2022 Spring Carnival rolls on. Matt Dunn is one of a minority of Australian horse trainers who come from a non-racing background. He grew up at Avalon on Sydney's northern beaches where his dad Keith ran a successful earth-moving business. Not surprisingly, at age 10, Matt was operating excavators and bobcats after school and during school holidays. Later, he tried his hand as an apprentice jockey on the mid-north coast and rode a number of winners before beginning his training career at Port Macquarie. He later returned to the heavy machinery for a couple of years before making a fresh start as a trainer on the Gold Coast. He won enough races during the next five years to attract the attention of Gerald Ryan, who offered him the job of managing his newly opened Sydney stable at Rose Hill. Matt did a good job in that role for three years, at which point Gerald made the permanent move to Sydney. Matt stayed on as foreman for another five years before feeling the need for a change. When he told Gerald stabling was available at Mwilumbar, his boss made the surprise offer to use the northern base as a satellite operation. Matt ran the Mwilumbar stables under Gerald Ryan's name for two years, after which Gerald bowed out and young Dunn launched his solo career. Matt made the massive decision in May 2021 to open a Sydney stable while retaining the Mwilumbar operation under the supervision of Holly Julius. Matty Dunn's online to join us on the podcast and I appreciate your time, Matt. Great to catch up. Thank you. Great to be here. What are the numbers in the Mwilumbar and Rosehill stables? Rosehill 30. Uh, and Mwollumbar sort of hovers between 40 and 50. Mm. And you're, of course, now living in Sydney and loving it, and so is your wife, Kira. 
yeah, we, we sort of made the decision to, to move down full time and um, we both enjoy Sydney. I think Kira probably loves it more than me, but um, I'm, I'm from Sydney originally, so nearly coming back home actually. And, yeah. Um, even the stables where we're at Roseville is, is straight under Gerald's stable, so pretty much the, the place that I'm very familiar with. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you were well broken into city life before you made this move. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Holly Julius, who manages the Mwillumbar stables, you tell me has been with you for a long time. Yeah, she has. She, she um, sort of came to us not long after we opened the stable in Mwillumbar and, um, and she's sort of stuck around ever since. She's, she does a great job. She she doesn't come from any sort of racing background. She Her background's also with Pony. She's a, a local Kujin girl that's, um, that's, that's family's um, grown sweet potatoes, I think, for – Mm. For a number of generations up there at Kujin. so and she 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 adapted well and she evolved as as um you'd hope that she would uh, with with training and um to a point now where she she manages to stable up there um solo and she does a very good job. Mm. You commute frequently to Mwillumbar, don't you? Though by the same token, you have meetings with Holly and you just like to have a look at those horses on a fairly regular basis. Absolutely, I go up there once a week. Um, you know, try and coincide it with a, a race meeting where we've got a few runners so that I can attend and um, sort of take a little bit of pressure off Holly. But I think, you know, I think operations like that, I need to spend some time there. I can't just sort of let it go. Holly does a good job and she communicates very well, and, and we speak every day a number of times. But um, but I think you need to be hands on still um, and just mm. just go and sort of run your eye over the horses. And that's uh, that's what we do. It's not me that goes up. Kira goes up, um, sort of may, mainly me, but uh, Kira might go up there for a couple of days. Mm. Just again, you know, she she knows um, the way we like to have things and um, it works very well. Mm. It was a huge decision in 2021 to open a city stable after such a successful decade operating out of Mwillumbar, a beautiful spot, and it gave you access to so many racetracks, Queensland and New South Wales. Oh, yeah, it's in a, it's in as, as strange as it sounded to a lot of people when, when we sort of suggested that that's where we were going to set up. Um, in all reality, it's, it's central to probably 12 tracks that are within an hour and a half, so you couldn't be in, in a better spot, to be honest. It's so close to the border. It's close to the beach. It's, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful part of the world. It's a, a great place to live. Horses thrive there. You know, it's a, it really is, um, I'm surprised that somebody else hasn't sort of set up and, and done what we, we've done mm. a long time ago. I, I really am because it's, it's a magnificent place. Mm. We should say that none of this would have been viable without the new levels of country prize money. Oh, absolutely. And it's sort of when we first set the stable up, we were most of our horses were crossing the border to race in Queensland because they were sort of racing for better money at the provincials, mm. Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Ipswich, that sort of thing. But that's completely turned around now. Most of our horses mm. from, from the Moolabar stable race in the Northern Rivers because the money is so good, uh, the incentives are there. And, uh, you know, we, we prefer to race our horses in New South Wales. Racing New South Wales is the one that support us. They support the track. They provide the training facilities. So, we can return some of that support, then um, we're more than happy to do so. Mm. When your plan to move to Mwillumbar was first mooted, Gerald Ryan actually insisted on going up for an inspection of the stabling and the training facilities. And I think he yeah, was pleasantly yeah. surprised, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. And, and I was too, because I'd never been there. Um, 
and, and had a look at the facilities. The, the stables that we first rented were, were old and um, but, but good still. You know, horses settled in them really well. Uh, and, and the track for a, for a small country track that only holds 11 race meetings a year, mm-hmm. um, I was really surprised with the, the training facilities and, and accordingly we had success from there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was. It was, it, was a, it was a real surprise, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. What did you have there? Two grass tracks, I believe. Yeah, two grass tracks and a sand track, that, and, and the sand um, is it, it um, responds really well to lots of rain, which obviously the northern rivers you get lots of rain up there. And you know, it was it's you know the tracks a mile around. It, the, the the course proper is available or accessible most of the time because the grass grows that fast they can't mow it quick enough, pretty much in that part of the world. So it's yeah. you know, it's, no, it's it's great. It's it's a great place to train. Yeah. Now, you you had the beach close by. You didn't actually work them or gallop them on the beach, but you would take them there on a fairly regular basis just for the change of environment, and you could see it doing them good. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we go over to, to Cabrita Beach and, um, you know, the, the horses walk through the surf and, it, yeah, we, do, we don't we don't ever – work fast or really even canter on the beach. We just sort of walk through the surf and then walk back and, and that's enough for them, an easy day on a Wednesday normally. Mm. Uh, you know, when when the operation was at full steam up there with 18 work, we'd take two truckloads over there, yeah. um, you know, sort of 25 horses, and, and they, they really enjoy it. Obviously, if they've got to, got to adapt to it a little bit, they get a bit nervous about the waves sort of splashing on their legs to start with, but once they, they, they do that, it really helps a number of things, you know, horses with leg problems, um, even horses that – that tend not to travel to the races very well. You take them over to the beach a few times, and all of a sudden that anxiety goes because they think they're going on the truck to go to the beach. You know that's how much they enjoy it and how relaxing it is for them. So it's mm. certainly got plenty of benefits. There are very few trainers in Australia today who uh, aren't critical of the shortage of work riders wherever they happen to be training horses. How did you get on in a place like Mwilumba with eighty horses in work? But surprisingly well, like so I, that was my biggest fear when when we set the stable up was where the hell am I going to get staff from to run this thing? Mm-hmm. And all of our staff, or, or pretty much all of them, um, Toby McIntosh, he was my foreman for sort of thirteen years up there. He he came from from a, a family that he had a, a I think a show jumping background. Um, mm-hmm. Holly, as I said, she she sort of ridden ponies and just general horse people with general horse experience or, or horse sense um come and work for us and it's, it's they're, not, they're not that much different to, to ponies or stock horses and um kira was a big part of teaching lots of people well, she taught holly how to ride work um mm. you know and with that on the job training we, we developed a number of work riders um from from scratch pretty much some of them could ride when they come some couldn't but mm. i think it's, it's a different i don't know it's 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 a, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of life um, in, a, in a country area like Moolumba, as close as it is to the Gold Coast and other places. Mm. The, you know, the, the people are, are keen to learn. That, you know, that they, they love coming to work. Um, it's a pleasant environment and it's a great place to be. So mm. I think that's the key. Um, Kira makes for a happy work environment um, and people are happy to sort of keep coming and sort of turning up and, and we develop more staff, ground staff as well, you know, because mm. they're, they're critical. But um, no, it's the, st- we've, the staff that we've had over the years and the people that have stuck around for as long as they have has been really good. Mm. When was the last time Matt Dunn participated in track work? 
<laughs> a very long time ago. I, I jump on one at the beach sometimes, um, but that's 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 about that's about all for me now. I'm I'm too old and I don't bounce as well as I used to, so I'll leave that to I'll leave that to some other people to do. But um, no, I, I don't ride work anymore. Yeah, well, now that you've given me the cue, Matt, you're rising fifty, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm turning fifty very soon, actually. So I don't know where it went, but. Um, <laughs> You know, it's but it's you know it's been it's been a good ride that's for sure so far. Well, there was one major negative in your move to Sydney. You had to forfeit your eligibility to run horses in the fabulously successful Tab Highways. Now you'd won an enormous number of them. How many? Uh, it's it's more than thirty, I think. I, I think that when we sort of stop, I think we, we won. I'm pretty sure we won a, a highway race the, the last day that I was allowed to participate in. I think we won that race, and I think mm-hmm. it was 36 or something. We we had lots of success in it, and it was um, yes. it was a, a great platform for us for sure. Mm. Well, early on, you and Danny Williams dominated with Terry Robinson snapping at your heels. Yeah, exactly. And Matt Dale was was sort of quite quite um, quite competitive in them as well, and they were. They're a great concept, and it's just another example of, um, of of racing New South Wales. Looking for something different, uh, looking looking for for opportunities, not just for city trainers, but country provincial trainers as well. And mm. uh, the, the opportunities that, that those races gave us, and it wasn't it wasn't just winning good prize money races. It was it was the 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 owners that had attracted that sort of said, hang on, my horse isn't quite good enough for a Sydney race. I'll send it to him and he can run it in a highway race and all of a sudden it's a Sydney mm-hmm. winner. Yeah. You know, that, the, the amount of business that we got from that and, and the publicity that we got from winning those races, I could win three races in Brisbane on a Saturday and wouldn't get anywhere near as much publicity if I won a highway race or I think yeah. I trifected a highway race one day. And that, that's that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Just, you know, that, that that's so so valuable to the business and, um no, it gave us the opportunity to, to sort of make the move to Sydney full-time as we have now. Mm. Racing New South Wales were adamant uh, that your Mwillumbar stable couldn't be considered a separate country stable under your name because of the precedent it would have created. I think you explored the possibility, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We, we sort of um, fought pretty hard to, to try to have, have the two stables separated um and and i understand um i understand that that can't be can't be done and, and there's i mean it, as you said it sets a, a precedent that that all of a sudden some of these big city stables set up a, a stable in the country just to take advantage of those races well it's it's you know that the whole the whole concept and the whole idea of it is, is going to disappear so I, I get it um i'd love to still be able to go in those races with horses from all over but I, I understand it and you know we had I had lots of discussions with different people. Mark Van Gessel, we talked about a number of times to try to make it work, and, and I think they would love to have let it work as well, but they have to be fair to everybody, and mm. um, I think um, pr- probably the decision that they made was, was was the fairest for everybody. August was a great month for the operation, Matt. You had 11 winners all up, including a quartet at Mwillumbar on the 19th of August, attributable to a good four track on the day. Wasn't that a pleasant surprise? 
Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it was it was great to get get, get on top of the ground for once, you know. But you know they, they've they they did a good job because I think it, you know it's it's well publicised how much water went over that place in the flood, and that wasn't that long ago. Um, and you know it's it's they've sort of clawed their way back to and to turn up on Cup Day and have the track in as good an order as it is and race so fair. Um, is is a real credit to to the management there. You know they've they've done a, a wonderful job, and um, you know we love getting wins at Mullumbo, and we we have lots of success there. That is a pretty decent home track advantage. I think I think our, our record was I think we won seven out of eight races there one day, and mm. um, my apprentice knocked me off on the line in the last. <laughs> so we just we we just missed the program, which yeah, is on an outside <laughs> ride. Yeah on, a, yeah, on an outside ride, it was fantastic. Mm. And I, I sort of saw her that night and I said, thanks for that. And she said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, I don't know, jump off it, whatever. Yeah. But no, that was – that was um, we, we've had lots of success there and, and, and they do a good job. And, you know, the, the Mullenbach Cup now is a, a qualifier for the big dance. We quenelled it. Mm. Um, so both those horses go through now. So it was, um, you know, it was a great day and we, we've had plenty of them um, on that track, that's for sure. You were 14 or 15 years old when you first got on a horse at a French's Forest Riding School, where Sky Channel is situated these days. Now, back then, Matt, you were the right size to entertain the idea of becoming an apprentice. Yeah, yeah, that was um, – I sort of got introduced to racing uh, through my grandparents. They had a couple of horses uh, on the mid-north coast or shares, and then they, um, they sort of – I'd go up there and go to the races with them and – and have a bet, or they'd have a bet for me and that sort of stuff. And I, mm. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed horses, and eventually I got to a point where I'd go into the stables with their trainers at Tari and just, you know, do a couple of boxes. And, um, you know, it's, it's unusual because, like like you said, I couldn't ride a horse until I was probably 14. Mm. Um, and then it was a it was a pretty le- quick learning curve. Um, I went from sort of just being able to ride one to – to ending up at, at Warwick Farm with Dave Sweeney and mm. and, um, and riding work kind of thing, you know, and falling off a lot. So <laughs> um, it's um, it's it's one of those things, and 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 it was it was a, I think it was the right decision, you know. I, was, I, I still remember the day I was leaving school. I went to Baron Joey High, and I had to go and see all my teachers and get them to sign a note for me to say you can leave. And mm. a couple of them sort of said, "Oh, gee, is this a good decision or not?" But I think it was. I think things have things have ended up okay. Mm. I'll say. Well, you spent eight months with the late Dave Sweeney at Warwick Farm, who was one of the gentlemen of racing in his era, and then you transferred to the late Earl Morecambe at Port Macquarie. How serious were you at that time about a riding career? Oh, look, I was I was pretty focused, and uh, you know that was that was the plan. I was going to go ahead and um, and and be a a really good jockey and get get to be riding in Sydney and that sort of thing, and. Um, you know, I think I think riding in races is is one of those things that you're very good at or you're not very good at. And I I was the latter. I, I was not much chop. I mean, I could ride and I could do everything that I needed to do, but just sort of race sense, I I, I was sort of found wanting in that area. And mm. um, you know, and and weight was was a struggle. From I sort of went from I'll never forget it. I I was I was. I think that I was riding 46 in those days and, and I had my first race ride, I weighed 34 kilos. Yeah, mate. And within mm. sort of probably two years, I was struggling to ride 55. You know, I just sort of mm. um, grew shoulders and legs and that was pretty much the end of me. But, um, you know, that was I, – I never – I never I remember a few people saying to me early days when I was starting to get to you, would you consider training? And I, I 
I, I blatant, just, just straight out said, no way, I don't want to be a racehorse trainer, but mm. um, here we are. Yep, here we are. You literally relinquished your jockey's licence and acquired your trainer's licence overnight. So you must have been uh, looking after the paperwork many weeks before you finally made the switch. No, actually, that was back in the good old days when things were a bit easy to get through. I went, I went and saw. I think the the chief steward's name was Ralph Newell then uh, uh-huh. at Port Macquarie, and I went and saw him and said, uh, "I want to, I want to get a trainer's license." And um, he said, uh, "Okay, when do you want it? When, when, what do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, my first run is next weekend, so can you do it today?" <laughs> and he actually did. He put my trainer's license through within a day. So, Goodness me! Um, I went from being a jockey to having runners yeah. in the space of, of a week, kind of thing. So it was, um, mm. you know, it was as I said, it was a bit, um, it was a bit, bit easier those days to, to get these things through, but uh, yeah. it worked out for me. Well, you were also surprised and shocked uh, when you attained your riding license too. That was much easier than you anticipated. Oh, yeah, the, the systems that they have now are so much better. I had I had a ride in one barrier trial at Port Macquarie and the barrier trial was 400 metres up the straight because the track was too wet to use the rest of it, um, and that was me. You're right, here's your, here's your ticket, go and do your best. Goodness gracious. So, and, and, you know, you, you know the, the processes that, they, that the kids go through now, hmm. which is which is a much better idea than, than sort of, I mean, that – in those days, it was, I didn't have enough experience riding a race. I didn't even know where I was. So, um, but no, that's that's how we did it then. And um, thank goodness things have improved. Were you able to find stable straight away at the Port Macquarie Racecourse? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I got stable straight up um, without any problem. I, I took over a few of um, my old boss's stables. Actually, he was still training then, and um, he he gave he gave me about five or six boxes. Um, he was mm. sort of starting to. To sort of wind down, and um, and I was lucky enough to sort of step into that. Now, I think you'd have to say the most significant horse in your early career as a trainer was Whiskey Decanter, a horse you knew really well because you'd ridden him to victory on three occasions as a jockey, and then later you won several races with him as a trainer, including Metropolitan races. He was a pretty important horse to you, Whiskey Decanter. He was a grey, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, any very important horse to me. You know, he um, he was my first city winner. Uh, as you said, I rode him to win a couple of races. I think he won a Kempsey Cup. He won lots of races, and and, and it's got to be kept in mind. I, I you know that I'd only just started training then, and, and I was still basically guessing my way through. I, I well, not guessing my way through. I pretty much sort of knew how how fitness programs and that sort of thing went. And they all used to give me a bit of help too because um, he was still training but uh, you know he he was he was pretty handy so you know, I'd like to have him now mm. um, but no he, he was a great horse to me for sure absolutely mm. you won a race at Eagle Farm with him you won another one at Randwick with him and according to my record Shane Scriven rode him in that Randwick win he must have been in Sydney for one of the major carnivals was he yeah yeah possibly I can't quite remember now but he um, yeah he, he he won on him and he, he rode him he rode him really well too, but he's um, yeah, he's uh, he's still around. Shane too. I, I talked I talked to him often when I go to Brisbane, but um, mm. no, he, he he was that that horse in all reality. And you probably I probably didn't realise the significance of it at the time, but he was the horse that probably got got me some sort of a start and, and almost taught me how to 
train a little bit because mm. he was a decent horse. Yep, he was by Whiskey Road who'd been a great sire. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, I'll get you to stand by for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll come back to you after this. Racing New South Wales didn't forget the tab highways and the midways in the latest round of prize money increases. The weekly editions of both races will go from $100,000 to $120,000 as from September the 1st. The tab highways introduced in 2015 have been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales and country participants. Every bit as popular are the midways. Introduced as recently as July 2021 and now a primary focus of the smaller metropolitan and provincial stables. How fitting it was that the very first midway was won by Albalagio Miss, trained by Greg Hickman, who'd been a prime mover in the creation of the concept. The Tab Highways have created tremendous interest among country owners who were constantly on the lookout for a potential highway horse. Bush trainers have something to aim for when they feel they have a progressive horse in the stable and the punters find the Tab Highways great betting mediums. Country owners and trainers had cause for a double celebration when they learned prize money for the Kosciuszko would leap from $1.3 million to $2 million. The highways and the midways and the $2 million Kosciuszko are a major part of the new look of New South Wales racing. My special guest is Matt Dunn. Your initial foray into training didn't last long and you walked away from it for a while and like a good boy, you went straight home to mum and dad. Did they recognise you? <laughs> Hadn't been gone long, <laughs> but uh, no, that, that's, that, that's true and, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't by design. It was financially I was, I was struggling to sort of make ends meet um, with training, you know, that it's – I mean, we're in a golden era at the moment, but but back then, uh, most country trainers, without decent numbers, really struggled to to sort of make any money out of it. Um, and that was the case. I, I, I had to do something because um, I was running out of money to buy food, pretty much. So mm-hmm. I went went back home and worked for Dad for a couple of years um, and just built a bit of a bank. Uh, and then um, I, I I'll never forget it was I watched Might and Power win the Melbourne Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, one day it must have been raining or something couldn't work, and I said, "Oh, I need to go back and do this again." So, you know, uh, that was that was nearly the trigger that that sort of um, made made the decision to, to to go up to the Gold Coast and kick off training again. Dad gave me a bit of money money to sort of help along, mm. um, and away we went again. Well, how did you get started on the Gold Coast? Was stabling hard to come by? Not so much. There was, you know, there were there were plenty of stables available at that time. Uh, there, there weren't huge numbers on the Gold Coast. The you know, Gold Coast track numbers up there get really high at times, sort of eight hundred. But I think when I turned up there, there was only about probably five hundred horses in work. So there was, there was boxes if you needed them. Mm. Um, and I just rented a, a couple of boxes to start off, and then sort of got a little bit bigger. And um, Gerald, when Gerald moved up there, he gave me a few pre-trainers to boost my numbers and. It, the business was was profitable and it was going on okay for sure. Hmm. Well, Gerald obviously thought you knew what you were doing, and he made you that surprise offer. You must have been gobsmacked. Yeah, well, it wasn't something that that I'd considered, and um, when he and when he sort of said, "Oh, would, would you would you think about it?" and 
um, we sort of sat down and talked about numbers and, and money and, you know, it was going to put me in a much better position than, than what I was at the time, sort of training 20 horses at the Gold Coast, moving to Sydney on, on decent money um, and and also the experience that it was, it was going to sort of provide me, mm. um, you know, exposure to, to, to better horses, clients, etc. And it was a hard decision because I, I was established at, at, um, at the Gold Coast and I was, I was pretty happy there. But um, you know, in hindsight, it was it was the best decision I've ever made for sure. Oh, no doubt, it was uh, it was the, the right stepping stone at the right time. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it's it's been said a few times that when I went to Gerald's, I could already train a horse, um, but I couldn't train lots, and I think that's the difference. You see, lots of trainers stumble when they get big numbers, um, and and I think the reason for that is that they haven't had the foundation with someone guiding them with big numbers, if that makes any sense, um, to, to sort of adjust when you need to, um, you know, look after large numbers of staff, you know, mm. large numbers of clients. And, and that's exactly what it did. And, and plus, Gerald's a champion trainer and he taught me a lot as far as every every aspect of, of training. He's, he's one of the few people that actually train every single horse. You know, he, he lives and breathes it. Um, mm. And, you know, the fact that I was able to sort of spend eight years with him um, was a, a massive mm. piece of the puzzle because uh, without that, uh, I, well, for one, without him, we don't we don't really establish Moolumbar because it would. If Matt Dunn turns up at Moolumbar with three horses and hangs up a shingle and says, "Here I am," and it, there's, there's mm. not going to be any any clients running to, to sort of give us horses, whereas with Gerald's name, mm. I was able to to sort of um, use that um, use the brand to to sort of establish a decent client base, and then I was I was right to go on my own, but. Um, no, it was a, it was certainly a, a a a big decision to make, but certainly the right one. Mm. Matt, you had to get used to working a big team pretty quickly because when you arrived at Gerald's Rose Hill Stables, there were forty horses there. Yeah, and and it's it's hard enough. I'd never trained that many horses before, and I'd never, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd never really thought that I would. And and when you sort of step into a a new stable and and you don't know one horse or one person that works there. It's um, it's a bit daunting. Uh, but you know, Gerald helped along the way, and, and for the first few weeks I was there, he was spending quite a bit of time in Sydney to sort of help help me along, and you know, get to know the the way that he trains and the, and the way that he likes to do things, and and it was um, it was great. I adapted well, and um, you know, the the staff that were there at the time were quite good, and. Um, it was it was a good place to be. Mm. Well, when he arrived after three years, you'd been there for about three years. When he relocated, did he invite you to stay on? Oh yeah, and that, and that was. I mean, I mean, obviously, I had the, the option because it wasn't it wasn't really in the script originally that that he'd move down there and, and make it the main stable. But um, I had the option to, to sort of leave. But I I chose not to because for one, I, I didn't. I hadn't got enough out of the place yet, like enough experience. I mean, mm. um, and and for two, I wasn't ready to go. Um, and, and when he sort of moved down there, and numbers sort of expanded to seventy-five, yeah, um, it was a great place to be. There were some fantastic horses racing. We were winning Group One races. You know, it was a, it was, um, it was, a, it was a good time. And I'm sure Joe would agree. It was, you know, that that time that that sort of Stitzel Clanglang era when when those good horses were racing. It was a it was a pretty successful time for the stable, for sure. During your time there, several very good horses passed through the operation, but there was one you admired tremendously. You said to me the other day that it was very rarely that Clang-a-Lang wasn't lame 
to some degree. What were his problems? Oh, he had lots of little problems. Like, lots of little problems. No, nothing, nothing horribly serious. Um, but he, he had, you know, sesamoiditis, he had sore feet, you know, all these little things that, that sort of came against him. But he, it was quite incredible because he wasn't much of a worker, but turn up race day, just an absolute competitor. And, and you know, some of his wins, um, he, he was, he was, so brave, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he was spoke, a very good horse. Obviously, to sort of win derbies and Group One races, you've, you've got to be very good. But mm-hmm. some of the things that I saw him do, and and sort of how, how he, his action was the week leading in, was quite remarkable. He was a very good horse. Mm. I had a look at his record the other day. He raced only twenty times. He won six. He ran four placings. He won well over two million. His first notable win was in the Spring Stakes at Newcastle. Then he ran fourth to Platinum Scissors in the Spring Champion Stakes. You took him to Melbourne for one run. He was a bit disappointing there. You turned him out straight away. You came back in the autumn. He was unplaced in three runs. And then he ran fourth to Helenus in the Rose Hill Guineas. And then he won the Australian Derby with Scott Seymour on board. Now, Matt, that was around the time Scott Seymour was enjoying a freakish run of success. Yeah, it certainly was. He was winning Melbourne Cups and Golden Slippers and all sorts of things. You know, macadamia farmer from Ballina or somewhere. He, he did. Mm. Um, he did a pretty. He did, he, it was. It was quite incredible what went on there because it, he, he, he was riding winners that were just mind-boggling. I, I don't quite understand it, but I suppose jockeys are like horses when they're when they're they're fit and they're um they're in good form and they're confident uh, they can do things that. Uh, uh, they normally wouldn't be able to, and I'm sure that was one of those situations. Yeah, it was an incredible thing, and major stables were putting him on at all of the big carnivals, you know, stables he hadn't ridden for until this freakish run began. Yeah, just incredible, wasn't it? It really was. Mm. Well, <clears throat> Gerald must have decided to give him one more while he was still on his feet after that derby win, and it was in the Frank Packer plate, and he had no problems with that one. Yeah, it's too good for those horses that day for sure. Absolutely, that, I remember that quite well. That race, and um, you know, he jumped off him and said, "Oh, that was a walk in the park." Yeah, walk in the park. Well, he went for a spell, nevertheless. He came back in the spring of two thousand and three. He ran second to Lonrow in the Warwick Stakes, fourth to Lonrow in the Chelmsford, and then he lined up in the Epsom with Corey Brown in the saddle. Was this the day Corey rode four winners? I suspect it was. Yeah, that was the day. Yeah, absolutely. He rode four group one winners that day. Hmm. And Clangalang came from a hell of a long way back in that Epsom. Yeah, there's a funny story behind that. Oh, not a funny story, but he, like this is how good he was. He, he was his program was heading to the Metro, um, and he had a setback early in his prep, and Gerald just switched him switched him to the Epsom and said that'll do, and and he was able to you know. Completely different program to, to, for horses going to those those two races, but he was able to to adapt and and um, and got the money. Incredible. He went to Melbourne after winning the Epsom. He had three runs. He was unplaced in all three. I think he ran in the Cox Plate, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. And did something go amiss there, Matt? Because that was the end of it. We didn't see him again. Yeah, that that was him. He pulled up no good after that. Um, I think he he might have done a suspension or something mm. in that race, and that that was um, that was time to sort of call it. 
Um, and he, uh, he called up stumps after that. Mm. When you informed Gerald that it was time for you to move on and that you'd heard there were stables available at a place like Mawillambar, what did he say? You must have fallen off the chair. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a tricky conversation because, you know, it's, it was um, – I'd been there a long time and, and we'd worked together well and, and it was a, a hard decision to make and, and it was quite emotional too. But, you know, when I, when I sort of said, oh, um, do you want to go into business with me? And he's like, what? Serious? So, but, but no, he, he, um, we, he listened and – um, and, and I mean, at the time, Gerald needed a, a satellite stable in Wollongong, like a hole in the head. So <laughs> he only did it to help me. I'm sure of it. Yeah. But, it but it was, you know, I, I sort of, I, I, we bought a, a three horse float, and I took three horses with me <clears> um, when we when we first moved up. Um, and uh, one of those horses was a grey horse called Pyramids, mm-hmm. and he, he kicked the stable off really well. He won a, a few in town in Brisbane, and that, that was the start of it, you know, and mm-hmm. three turned into 10, and then 10 turned into 20, and all of a sudden um, it just uh, once we started getting – I think it's very important a country stable – for a country ta- stable to be successful, it needs to be winning races on city tracks to, to draw enough publicity and enough exposure to, to be able to expand to the level where we did, yeah. and that's what we were doing. We were winning lots of races in Brisbane. I think we were leading a premiership up there one day, never been done before from a stable outside of Brisbane, mm. uh, outside of Queensland, sorry. So yeah, we were doing things that, that were um, that were really good. Um, it wasn't it wasn't by fluke. There was a hell of a lot of hard work went into it. But, um, you know, that, that gave us the foundation to, to sort of start to build big numbers and, and win lots of races, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a very good time. It really was. And I imagine Gerald would have been sending you horses frequently that were struggling in town. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's how, how things were going. He was, he was sort of sending horses up um, that were just below, and, and, and as we know, Sydney's Lengths stronger than, than Brisbane, and it was it was basically the same in those days. You know, it was the you know the, the one step down uh, from Sydney was has always been Brisbane, and mm. um and that helped as well. You know, and, and, and vice versa. If we had something that was really flying, we'd send it back to Sydney and, and um, see what it could do. So it was um yeah, it worked it worked well, and, and as you'd expect it to, because we'd worked together for, for eight years. You know, we sort of knew how each other thought. And, mm. um, you know, it worked very well. Well, during that period, you had the good fortune to meet Kira, who was originally from Byron Bay. She'd already gained great experience in horse breaking and camp drafting, and she wanted a job. <laughs> yeah, she did. She asked me for a job about four times before I put her on. Um, not that I didn't like her, just that I didn't sort of have <laughs> enough horses. And I think um, I had a, had a couple of guys riding work for me. I think I had about 15 in work at the time. And a couple of guys riding work for me and neither of them turned up one morning and, and I was I was actually still riding work then and I was sort of trying to get through the lot by myself and she um, she seized the opportunity and said, do you want me to come and ride a couple for you? So, um, so yeah, I said, yeah, you, you might have to do because I'm getting a bit tired. I'm on number 12 and yeah. haven't got much left to give. And, yeah, and that was that was the start of it. She sort of came back the next day and um, she, um, you know, she sort of started doing a bit more with us, doing some race day work um, and uh, – and, you know, we, we, we got on very well um, and, and formed the bond and the rest is history. It certainly is. And not only has she been an outstanding track work rider, but she's played a major role in the administration of the business and still does. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, she she's um, she's over every aspect of the business. She basically runs the Sydney stable. She uh, she she looks after accounts. I mean, we've got a few admin staff, but she she sort of oversees the whole thing to make sure everything's right. And all the owners are happy and and um, motivates me when um, things are not as good as they should be. So no, she's um, she's a good girl. You're adamant that a horse called Care to Think is the best you've trained. But sadly, his career was cut short by breathing issues. He won six yeah. races with him, Matt. He won two on the Gold Coast, including a Magic Millions Cup, three races at Doombin, and he won a tab highway at Randwick with Ty England on board. I had a look at that the other day. Didn't he blow him away in the highway? Yeah, he was too good for those horses for sure. No, he was a beauty. And look, um, I know one thing. If, if I'd had my Sydney stable at the time, I'm sure he wins a Group One race because he was that level. Um, he, he was, you know, he was a he was a bit of a victim of having to travel um, to and fro. Um, and then, as you mentioned, he, he had an airway surgery, and he was one of those horses that didn't adapt well to that. Some horses deal with him really well, and sort of keep marching on. He couldn't. He was constantly getting airway infections and, you know, nothing was going right. And then he had a couple of lameness issues. So we had to pull up stumps, which was which was a bit sad because, um, you know, when you've got a horse of that quality, but we just had to come to the realisation that we weren't going to get him back to where he was. So yeah. we let him sort of go and retire. But, um, no, I'd, um, he's another one. I'd, I'd love to have him stable now because uh, mm. he could get to, to, to the ultimate level for sure. Well, thank goodness you've got a country championship final under your belt because you won't get another crack at one. You won with the grey, Gracie Bell, in 2020 with Karen McAvoy on board. I think you beat Tash Burley's good horse, Al Mahaha. Yeah, and that, that was a great day. And, um, you know, we, we'd had a couple of cracks at it and we'd, we'd have a, had a couple of cracks at it with some good horses, with some really nice horses, you know, um, and, and the mist, um, mainly due to, to – it seemed to be run on wet tracks for – the first couple of years and um you know we, we sort of missed because of because of wet tracks and um but when she she sort of um drove up the fence late it was it was great you know and they were sort of new clients they'd sent it sent her down from north queensland that that mare and the form didn't look that great but uh she was really tough um and probably raced uh, above her ability due to that uh, she was she was hard work, but she was very tough, and um, it, w- it was a really good day, you know. Because as I said, we we sort of missed a couple of times at, at winning it in the past, and um, to, to get up and get it done was was fantastic. You won the Takeover Target Stakes with Snitch, the year it was transferred from Gosford to Randwick, to me Clark Road. Yeah, and that was that was great that that horse was able to do that because he a, a fellow called Jim Kennedy. Bought him originally, um, and, and he was a, he was a, a a great man, and, and he was a big part of Brisbane racing for a number of years. And he called me one day and said, um, "I've I've bought a schnitzel uh, from the Breeze Up Sales, and I didn't even go; I hadn't seen the horse. Um, do you want it?" And I said, "Yeah, of course." Anyway, so he said, "Okay, well, it'll be there in five minutes." And I'm like, okay, thanks for the notice. He said, "Well, otherwise, I'm going to send it to Melbourne." Uh-huh. It was already on the truck coming. It was already on the truck on its, on its way down the highway, sort of thing. And anyway, he turned up and he was, he was really small. And he said, oh, "What are you thinking?" I said, "Yeah, he's good anyway." But he, he was a, he was a nice horse. And Jim's health started to fail. So um, before he, he won the takeover target, and he, he sort of rang me and said, "Oh, look, I, I can't go on. I need to 
um, I need to probably move out of Snets and he had another horse with me at the time and mm. I said, well, how much do you want for him? And he said, 25000 or something, a small amount of money. I said, that's not a piece worth more than that. So I think mm. I ended up um, talking to Mitch Lowe who ended up with him from Viva Racing, which of course is quite heavily now. Mm. And so they said, I've got this nice horse. I think you probably should buy him. I think you paid about thirty five grand for him or something yeah. off Jim. And, um, you know, and that, that next preparation was was the best preparation of his career. He uh, he just went to a new level that prep, and I don't know the reason for it. Uh, he just did. He just he just found lengths and lengths, and all of a sudden, you know, he's he's racing some of the best horses in Sydney and, and beating them. Uh, so no, he he um he was a, he was a really nice horse. You know, he he did a good job, but he's uh, he's done now as well. So. Kathy O'Hara won a nice stakes race for you in 2017, the Hortensia at Scone. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a bit of a surprise actually. Um, Kira, Kira took that horse up, took that horse up the day before uh, from the Walmart stable, and because it was a bit of a last minute decision to actually run, I think he, he drew the outside gate, um, and um, and and she rode him really well actually, and she she used to get on very well with that horse. She she had a, a great record on him and. Um, you know, we, we'd, um, it's funny if, until you've reminded me some of these things, you know, you sort of forget quickly, uh, about some of the great, the great days and, and the great, mm. um, wins that we've had over the years. And, um, now that, that was another one. He was, uh, he was, that horse was owned by, um, Rob Sheen and his family and they, they've been great supporters for a long time ever since I left Gerald's pretty much and they yeah. still are. So it was a, it was a, it was a satisfying win. Um, and, um, and, uh, we need some more of them. <laughs> Madotti was a nice horse for the stable, Matt. Uh, he won a Group 3 Vaux-Rogue plate and a Magic Billion quality, ridden in both by your old mate Ty England. Yeah, yeah, and, and Ty used to ride a lot for us, actually. He rode, rode lots of highways for us and, and he, he loved her. Um, he, I, think, I think he rode, when, when she won Magic Billion, I think he rode about 54. Mm. Really light, really light for him whatever it was, and um, I remember he got off her. He was supposed to ride another horse for me on the day, and he got off her and just fell over pretty much. Mm. He was just so exhausted through sort of losing as much weight. But, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he, um, he yeah, she, she was she was good to us. She she was an $80,000 purchase from uh, the cutest sale at, at Magic Millions, and she was – that was – the most expensive horse we'd bought at the time, uh, and, and a great group of people jumped in with us, um, Mark and Cheryl and Lowe and David Coglin, and, and they're still in horses with us now, and they're good friends, you know, and, and it sort of all, all came from, from nice horses like that and others that they'd sort of bred. But, um, mm. no, she was a beauty. She was she was a Falvalon, and um, 80 grand at the time was probably more than enough to be paying for one of him. But um, Neil Jenkinson sort of picked her out at the sales for us and, and uh, we, we looked at her and she was a magnificent type and she was basically bought on that alone. She didn't have much pedigree, but, um, but no, she uh, she was a beauty. She really was and a real trier, but um, she's, she's had a couple of foals now, actually. Mm. Subterranean gave you a nice kick in winning the Ken Russell Memorial on the Gold Coast with Nash Rewilla. Subterranean is by Rebel Dane, the sire of this year's Golden Slipper winner, Fireburn. Yeah, and he's done an incredible job, hasn't he? I actually had a look at him the other day. The stallion parades, I'd never seen him before, but, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, stakes winners to runners. Uh, ratio is quite incredible and he it sort is. of come from nowhere it was mm. standing at a place down in Victoria somewhere I think and the, the mayor's little, subterranean's mother I think won a 2,000 metre 
picnic maybe. Goodness. So you know, yeah. not 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 a whole not a whole lot of quality there. But it, there's another story, funny story behind that too, because he he he's, he was at the time uh, he's in work with um with Rick Worthington and, and mm. he'd um he'd passed away and Steve Grant rang me and said, oh, do you want to take half of this? I need to move it. And I, mm. I sort of he, he I was sort of you know at the time didn't really need a, a Rebel Dane, but mm. um, I ended up taking <laughs> half of it for 15000 And yeah. it was another situation where Mitch Lowe was at the track with me at Mullabar. I was, I was watching him. Yeah. And I said, do you look at the way this horse moves? He was cheap. And I said, how much? I said, it's 15 grand. And he said, oh, can I have him? And I said, yeah, of course you can. So he syndicated half of him. And, um, you know, he's been a really good horse to us. He's, yeah. you know, for small money, the, 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 the joy and the, and the amount of the prize money he's won. Yeah. It's been great, really good. Mm. Well, it's marvellous what a couple of stakes winners will do for a stallion. Matt, where do you think he stands now, Rebel Dane? Widden stud. <laughs> exactly right. Incredible. Oh, God. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he really is, and he'll get a decent book of mares this year, and he'll be on his way for sure. You won five races with a horse called Divine Unicorn before losing him to Hong Kong, and you do realise, don't you, that you're not the first Australian trainer to relinquish a nice horse to the unrelenting Hong Kong market. Yeah, and it was it was disappointing because the plan with Divine Unicorn was to go to Melbourne and uh, give him a couple of runs, and he and, and then we were going to. He was always going to go to Hong Kong because he was owned in Hong Kong, but we were originally going to take him over there for the international day if he could qualify, which he probably could have. He won the Tax Cup, and mm. um, in Melbourne things didn't go well. Um, you know, he sort of copped a couple of ordinary steers, and um, and then he his, his his rating was under what it needed to be to go over. He was an eighty three or something, Hong Kong rating eighty three, and he had to be eighty five before they take him over. Um, and he, I think he ran fourth to Winks, yeah. And the, the handicapper in Hong Kong put him up to an eighty six because of that. So mm. I lost him a bit a bit earlier than what we'd, we'd sort of hoped to. But he, he was a really good horse. So he, he didn't set the world on fire in Hong Kong. I think he's only won one race. But mm. um, you know, he was a highly strung horse that um, that needed a bit of care and took a bit of work. Uh, and, and maybe sometimes those horses just don't adapt to that environment. I think that was absolutely the case because he was by far the best horse I've sent to Hong Kong and I've sent lots because I've, I've sort of done quite a bit of work with Willie Long over the years mm. um, with horses for him and, and he was a, he was a far better horse than others that have gone there and been successful. I'm, I'm mm. sure he was just a victim of the environment when he went over. Mm. You worked closely with a bloodstock agent called Neil Jenkinson in sourcing the right horses at the right price and it's been a really good partnership. Yeah, it certainly has because most of our horses that we buy, we're, we're buying on spec. So um, if uh, if we can't sell them, we're going to own them. Um, so I we we approach every sale the same. I, I refuse to go to a sale and pay um, overs um, because um, because I've got a big ego or something. You know, we keep it mm. as tight as we can. Um, we've never been one to sort of step into one for half a million or anything like that because I don't know that it's necessary. I think you can buy nice horses and not have to spend that sort of money. But um, mm. Neil does a really good job. He does all the shortlists for me. Um, he goes he goes and, you know, looks at yearlings at studs, looks at stallions. He's a, he's a big part of the business and he always has been. He's been with us now um, pretty much from when we started at Mullumbo. He's, he's sort of been doing all the yearling work, um, you know, a couple of mares now that we've got. He, he looks after them. So uh, he does a very good job. He's, he's a great judge. And, and I think um, – I think the, the biggest asset is he's 100% honest. You know, I think there's there's people, particularly in the, the sort of sales and breeding industry, that, 
that um, that may not um, have um, have quite as as good a um, what's the best word for it? Um, quite as um, straightforward as what Neil is, um, mm. and that's that 100% trust his, his judgment um, and his integrity 100%. Uh, and he's he's got a reputation for that, and we're lucky to have him. You know, it's mm. sort of um, he sort of he was he was um, doing a little bit of work for us, and things sort of stepped up, and now he's with us uh, right through the year. So it's, uh, it's it's a great thing to have because I don't have time for one to go and look at a thousand yearlings at Magic Me, and so he, he gets uh, he gets all that. That sort of work done, and, and I trust his judgment completely. Well, Matt, you've won well over one thousand races, several of them at stakes level. A Group One has eluded you so far, which I'm sure is one of the reasons you've opened a Sydney stable. You're much more hope of winning a Group One uh, from a Sydney base than you are in the bush. Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent right. You know, and that was that was part of the discussion when Kira and I were making the decision to to, to set up the stable and, and relinquish the country status. Was you know, and, and and she sort of said it a number of times. We you complain that we 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 can't compete at the level we want to be. Um, we can't do it from here. So, you know, that that's that's the goal, and and hopefully we can achieve that and and some more than than one group one race. You know, that's. Uh, um, I'm sure the first one's the hardest, and yeah. know, it gets any easier or not. But um, you know that, that's that's the goal. And you know, I mean, we 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 continue sort of raising the bar, and you know, we, we didn't we could have just stayed in Warm Bar, and it was a good business, and it, mm. it still is a good business, and it was making plenty of money, and everything was rolling on really well. But decided to set ourselves a new challenge, and um, and uh, it's not always easy, but uh, but you know, not, nothing nothing ever has been easy. I mean, the stable at Warm Bar, Kira and I built. The stables with our bare hands, kind of thing, you know. That's that's mm. how how we've sort of um, always approached it. You know, if there's not enough money to have someone build it, we'll build it ourselves. Yeah, and that's and that's the same with the Sydney thing. You know, we'll we'll come down here and we'll we'll give it our best shot, and we are giving it our best shot, and, and I'm sure it'll be good enough. You've garnered great experience. You do everything very professionally. You've got that wonderful girl Kira alongside. And you're the right age at 49. Onwards and upwards from here, Matt Dunn, and it's been a delight having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. A podcast produced by Supernova Sound. The Spring Carnival is gathering momentum and will continue at Rose Hill Gardens on Saturday, September the 10th with three Group 2s and a Group 3. Just an appetiser for what's to come in the weeks ahead. The Group 2s are the Theo Marks, the Scirocco Stakes and the Run to the Rose for the three-year-olds who are eyeing off the $1 million Golden Rose of 1,400 metres to be run on September the 24th. The Run to the Rose was inaugurated in 2003 and was won last year by Animo, the year before by Rothfire and in 2019 by Bivouac. The most celebrated winner of the Run to the Rose so far is the 2012 winner Piero, who won 11 from 14, including five Group 1s for $4.5 million. And he's now one of Australia's most celebrated sires. Six winners of the Run to the Rose have gone on to win the Golden Rose, the most recent being Bivouac three years ago. Let's not forget Saturday the 17th at Royal Randwick when the George Main is the only Group 1 on the card, strongly supported by the Shorts and the T-Rose. The 2022 Spring Carnival rolls on. <laughs>